Let us pray. Eternal God, clear our hearts and our minds from all that beset us. Enable us to be open-minded, to hear your word, and then to allow that word to convict us and even change our lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. One of the struggles with scripture reading is interpretation. And where there are three Presbyterians, there are about four different interpretations of a passage most times. But the other part is to be clear about the context in which scripture is read. So our scripture this morning from Jeremiah 29 is a passage that was intended for the Israelis who were in bondage in Babylon. And so the word to them is a word of hope in the context of them being in exile and wondering where is the God that we worship. So listen now for God's word from Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew as we have been uh, doing all fall, looking at this particular Gospel and the way Jesus comes along and, and calls the people to, to follow him. Back in chapter 4, before the, the Sermon on the Mount that we've seen the last three weeks, we read at the end of chapter 4 that a large crowd from across the region is starting to follow Jesus. And then the Sermon on the Mount, again, we've looked at that for three consecutive weeks, and at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, Matthew records that the crowds, quote, were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. And then today, our reading from Matthew chapter 8, it begins with that same momentum of the crowds and the awe. And then this surprising moment that unfolds amidst this groundswell. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose... You can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my position, I somewhat regularly make visits that involve the intensive care unit in the hospital. As you know, the ICU lets certain people back for visiting, usually only allowing for one or two people at a time, usually only maybe family or, or clergy. Sometimes, as some of you are aware, they'll require a, a full gown, some head cover, a mask, gloves, even cover for your shoes before you go in. And then sometimes, 
quite frankly, sometimes you just can't go in. It's, it's that precarious, it's that contagious, it's that susceptible to making things worse. If you were a leper in Jesus' time, you basically lived your life in the ICU. The room with almost no visitors at all, aside from fellow lepers. Leper was a term that broadly referred to any number of skin diseases, mild ones, dire ones, and, and lepers were considered the walking dead. According to Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, lepers were understood to have their skin disease because they were under a curse from God. And because of this, the, the lepers had a number of laws in place to ensure they were kept at a safe distance from everyone else unless by some rare miracle they were healed. Lepers, for instance, were not allowed inside any of the walled cities of Jerusalem or of Israel, and so most prominently they were not allowed in Jerusalem, certainly not near any measure of the holy temple. Living outside the walls then, lepers were required to have and keep disheveled hair and disheveled clothing. They were to lower their faces when people came near and cry out, unclean, unclean, in order to, to ensure that anyone who looked like they might get, be getting a little too close would be kept at bay. And then the rabbis, the, the spiritual teachers and leaders of the community, they were required to keep at least six feet of distance between themselves and a leper. Lepers were truly the most ostracized group of people in Israel. Because the fear was that the uncleanliness, the unholiness, the sin, the curse was readily contagious. It would spread. Though unlike the ICU, you, uh, you, ICU where we're also hoping that the patient is getting better by being temporarily removed from most, the removal of, of lepers was really about protecting everybody else. Now for most of the world today, we don't have the same concern about lepers, but absolutely we have laws and regulations or just social customs that, that quarantine and keep people over there. At times for their good, but also often for the health and safety of everybody else. For the very sick and the contagious, the ICU, they, they need to be kept at a distance. For those who've broken the law, perhaps grievous, grievous, grievously, it's prison. They need to be kept at a distance. Registered sex offenders have their address made public by law, essentially announcing unclean, unclean. So others can ensure they Keep a safe distance. For those who, who say or do something bad or wrong or unbecoming or ugly, even if it's not technically or legal, our, our social media platforms make it clear there are strong forms of social ostracization and disassociations that can occur with swift vehemence. They, they need to be kept at a distance. Or, or even I think about how Alan Hilton was with us earlier this year. He was leading us through his House United Ministry program that helps congregations communicate and even growing, and even grow together as they talk about the issues that often divide. And he led a combined Sunday school class where a number of you were present. And he, he talked about a poll that had folks respond to this prompt. I'd be very concerned if my son or daughter married into the opposite political party. And he talked about how in 1960, 4% of respondents agreed with that statement. Yeah, I'd be very concerned. In 2010, 43% of respondents agreed to that statement. 
I'd be very concerned if a child of ours married into the opposite political party. And then in 2018, 50% of respondents agreed with that statement. And I remember he noted that, that increasingly we almost think of others in the political party as infected with a contagion that, that quite frankly we do want to keep at a distance from our immediate family. The truth is, in every people group and every time in history, there are some persons who are considered too unclean or too sinful or to have too many of the wrong germs, and perhaps for their well-being, but definitely for everybody else's well-being, society decides they need to be kept at a distance. And just as the groundswell of Jesus' power and popularity are starting to soar, of all people, there comes a leper who kneels before him. Who would you say is among some of the furthest removed and germiest in our society today? Can you imagine the pews this morning filled from front all the way to the balcony back because they've heard that this Jesus has just given the sermon of the millennia. They've got to hear what's coming next. And into that kind of scene, into the heart of the sanctuary, walks the person you have in mind. How many are the laws this leper is breaking in his own time? You don't walk out of the ICU full of contagion and draw near a healthy person. Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. It's a remarkable statement. Much more could and, and should be noted about it. But for this morning, listen also for what is quietly screaming in the background of our text as the leper is speaking. There are the crowds and the religious leaders and the Levitical scriptures joining in one course at this very moment crying out, Jesus, back away. You do not go near those people, that uncleanliness, that curse. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. And then Jesus tells the leper to go to a priest, to be formally examined by that priest and declared clean, thereby honoring the process of Leviticus 13 that names how a, leopard, a leper is to not only be named clean again, but then is able to join at table again as part of the community. Jesus' touch has a biological and a moral and a sociological dimension. And yet, why must there be a touch at all? I mean, when it comes to certain people who, who really have a, a terrible disease, body or soul or both, why this risky, scandalizing touch on that skin? Why not throw on the gown, a mask, some gloves, and sort of lob a be-made clean prayer from a safe distance? Rodney Stark is a retired professor of sociology and comparative religion who taught for years at the University of Washington. And he, he wrote this book we read in seminary called the, the Rise of Christianity, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. That is a mouthful. But in short, he's exploring what factors most contributed to the rise of this very unlikely religion that begins with a few followers in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And among other things, Stark writes about the great epidemic of the second century, sometimes referred to as the plague of Galen during the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Some medical historians suspect this may have been the first appearance of smallpox in the West. But whatever it was, in a matter of 15 years' time, the Roman Empire was cut by somewhere between a fourth and a third of its population. Just devastating. Then another plague hits in 251, this time probably measles. No, people did not have a theory of how germs work, but historians of that time will record how and people everywhere increasingly became fearful of being near one another, visiting one another amidst these plagues if, if one was ailing. And so people died in isolation all the time. Except, there were these group of Jesus followers, these Christians. Many of them were, were noted by both insiders and outsiders as, the, as a people who were willing to remain with you. They did not have special medicines or special training. They definitely died doing it some of the time. But what they did was elementary nursing. Simple provisions of food and water and proximate care to the ailing. Stark goes into far more detail than I can here, but, but historical records show Christians were actively involved in remaining regularly exposed before the disease to care for others within the faith and outside of the faith, and a significantly larger group of people lived who knew the care of elementary nursing. Stark then talks about how one of the more instrumental aspects of Christianity's attractiveness, its strength, its growth, was, was the church's willingness not only to proclaim a love stronger than death, but to be so sure of that love within themselves that they remained near to those most ailing at great risk to themselves. In our own day, I don't find it surprising at all that recent polls continue to show that nurses are the number one most trusted professionals across the career field board. In a society where we are increasingly disconnected and isolated and touching is fraught with potential misunderstanding and abuse, nursing is a profession that is fundamentally about a caring touch given in a time when we're most contagious most vulnerable most exposed there is a healing that goes beyond words in that gift and absolutely a trust is built caring trust caring touch communicates love and builds trust in ways that words alone do not suffice. And Jesus knew this. And Jesus knew this not just with this particular leper. Right? What does, what does John chapter 1 famously proclaim? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has never been about lobbing healing and wholeness from a distance uh, up upon heaven into this messy, sinful people. God's love is most fundamentally, most foundationally expressed by drawing near, by touching the people in the intensive care unit of guilt, of shame, of sin, of failure. Have you known not, not only the audible promise of Jesus, but have you known the healing touch of Jesus in your life? Can you think of some of the folks through whom you have known that touch. Is it not a grace to have your hand 
held or your head held or your body held when the disease seems so ugly or so wrong or so contagious? Does not such a touch proclaim the gospel in spades? Does not the father run toward the prodigal son in that wonderful parable? And first things first, there is a hug and a kiss given unto the mud-covered son. And of course, Jesus eventually sends out his disciples who've known the healing touch that they might be the body of, with Jesus' hands and feet and voice in the world. And as I think about our call to touch the world in risky and even scandalizing ways as Jesus has shown. I'm mindful of George MacLeod. He was the founder of the Iona community in Scotland, and, and in particular, his insight about the cross of Jesus. He writes, I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, and a crossroad of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died and that is what he died about. And that's where Christ's own ought to be and that is what the church ought to be about. And that is what the church ought to be about. Exposed, situated right in the midst of contamination and contagion. Folks who think and look and act differently. Folks who are shame-filled and folks who are imprisoned. Folks who are overlooked and folks who are unkept. Folks whose sin has hurt us. Folks whose sin has hurt others. Folks who are removed. That is the kind of scene in which the cross was raised. That is where his body goes and who his body touches and who his arms embrace. Are there risks? Absolutely. It's, it's the ICU. But don't forget, if you have known the healing touch of Jesus upon your life, then this very day you have coursing through your being, your words, your very touch, a love divine. You have a contagion against with which nothing in all of creation, not even death itself, can defeat. Whose surprising hands is God calling you to hold for such a time as this? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. May his church choose likewise. Amen.